Hello and welcome to the Over the Farmgate podcast brought to you by Farmers Guardian. I'm your host, FG's news and business reporter, Hannah Binns. Don't forget, we'll bring you a new episode of the podcast every Tuesday. Just make sure you're subscribed on your favourite platform. This week, we're talking about the growing trend towards corporate sustainability incentives. Jess Venenberg caught up with NFU Vice President Stuart Roberts about the future of such schemes, as well as Rich Clothier, Managing Director of White Farms, to find out about its scheme for dairy farmers. Hello everybody, I'm Jez Fredenberg. Happy New Year. I hope you've all had a great Christmas. Here's a virtual cheers to a good 2022 when maybe life can return to normal. Uh, Here's here's hoping for it anyway. uh, We've got two of my favourite guests on today who always have interesting insights and are genuinely lovely people if ever you've met them. Um, Today we're going to be talking about corporate sustainability incentives and for anyone listening who isn't probably quite sure what those are. Um, Corporate sustainability incentives are a kind of incentivization, perhaps some kind of scheme that a buyer might bring in to encourage a farmer supplier to adhere to a set of sustainability criteria. Um, In a few minutes, we'll be talking to Rich Clothier, MD of Wyke Farms, which back in November announced that it would be introducing its own incentivized scheme for its dairy farmers, where it would pay them up to one pence per litre if they met a set of five sustainability goals. First, though, I'm joined by NFU Vice President and Mixed Farmer Stuart Roberts. Stuart, where are we at with these sorts of schemes? Uh, Are there many of them already around? Um, I'm guessing we're likely to see more of them coming forward in, in the coming years. We're, we're seeing quite a lot of, of these sorts of schemes. Um, I, I really like the Wikes Farm one, actually, because I think what it tries to do um, is actually it's not about uh, uh, bullying its farmer supply base or anything else. It is about encouraging them and, and going on a journey. And for me, that's what this is about. Um, we're also seeing a number of these these types of schemes that are, are perhaps not quite like the Wikes one, which is, is more about, if I was being unkind, um, some parts of the supply chain almost sort of easing their conscience by loading the sustainability criteria on 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 their farmer supply base you know uh, looking to, to 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 offset and and perhaps greenwash some elements of, of some supply chains and I think for me what the the Wikes farm one does and and there are others is one uh, it tries to help its farmers on that journey and look it's not complicated stuff some of this it is about feed efficiency it is about uh, herd management you know uh, animal health and welfare for example these are these are uh, relatively straightforward things but one it's about trying to help them but for me it's also about then trying to if you like, share the the upside of, of, of sustainability criteria. To get to net zero, you can hit a real sweet spot, which is not just about doing your bit for the planet and the, your bit for climate change, but also doing your bit for your economic performance. And I think it's great when businesses, uh, if you like, use their influence, use their 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 power to to help farmers on that journey. What I do fear is that there will be other examples, and, and, and you know we do hear about them, where the farm's ability to capture carbon, for example, is being used to offset carbon somewhere else in the supply chain. Well, actually, 
The, the carbon I sequester in on my farm, that belongs to me as far as I'm concerned. And I think what, what Wikes are trying to do is actually come at it in a very collaborative way rather than trying to, if you like, greenwash their supply chain with what happens on farms. I think it's a great example. It, I was going to ask you whether you thought that corporate sustainability incentives were carrots or sticks essentially for farmers <laughs> but it sounds like from what you're saying that they can be either actually you're, you're nodding would you agree with that yeah mm. yeah I'd entirely agree with that and, and like anything it isn't you know it isn't one or the other it is how you design it it's that the how so actually for me an incentive that uh, either rewards me for what I do on farm or invests in uh, my knowledge and, and my expertise to help me on my farm, that's absolutely a, a, a carrot, you know, completely. One that imposes, for example, a target or looks to uh, take away that sequestration, if you like, that, that for me is more of a stick. We, we hear politicians getting really excited about these carbon capture technologies that take CO2 and lock it away forever. And I do remind people that actually that's what farming's been doing through photosynthesis since the existence of the first farmer. And I think sometimes what I, I see is farmers potentially losing the value of what we do on farm to somewhere else, either to a big corporate uh, or, or somewhere else. Now, that's fine so long as the farmer gets the full benefit of that. And at the moment, there's certainly a few schemes around that I see that don't. And I think arguably farmers could be uh, fooled perhaps into, into selling uh, that huge asset at a massively undervalued rate or done in a way that, that doesn't yet recognise, yeah, how are we going to measure some of this stuff? How are we going to ensure this transparency? What are the rules around the game of some of these, uh, these corporate schemes? It, it sounds to me as well like all the things that you're talking about are things that are so dependent on the individual farm, aren't they? And the capability of the individual farm. You know, one farm might have a lot more potential to sequester carbon. Another farm might have a lot more um, suitable, you know, land for creating uh, biodiversity, for example, or um, uh, I, I don't know, like wetlands or something, something like that. So it sounds like we maybe need a bit of uh, flexibility, like within those within those schemes. Would you say something that can be a bit more tailored to an individual farm? I think you're right, and I think also the the things that that individual farmers can can make progress on will vary on that farm. So, for example, you may have one farm that is sort of a one for its animal health uh, characteristics, and therefore actually the room for improvement there is limited, but maybe not so much on the nutrient side, and vice versa. Do worry at the moment, in particular. We're looking at carbon and we look at carbon as being the be all and end all. And actually what we need to ensure is that we're also looking at water quality. We're looking at biodiversity. We're looking at yeah, all of those variables in sustainability as well as economic performance. Yeah, like you say, it's much more holistic uh, approach, isn't it? It's not just a, it's not just a climate change 
crisis. It's a biodiversity crisis. It's a health crisis. It's well, and and also, Jez, it's it's going forward. You know, it will be a food security crisis. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we 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 often ignore that, and and there was a slight frustration, I think, in in Glasgow at COP that actually almost the food bit got lost. It's it's easy to have discussions about one variable. So carbon, and carbon is the one that every, yeah, it's carbon, carbon, carbon at the moment. And actually, yes, that is really important, but we can't have that discussion at the expense of all of those others. And, and unfortunately, it's much easier to have a one-dimensional discussion. It's much harder to come up with schemes and, and have that debate about how we, we, we use our land and use our farms to deliver all of those things, which is why it comes back for me. It's not food or the environment. It's food and the environment. And then within the environment, it's not carbon versus water versus biodiversity. It is all of those things. Yeah, and of course... All of that also depends on then how you start communicating that to consumers, doesn't it? And and whether those consumers in the first place really understand that it is about more than uh, just this silver bullet and it's, it's about more than climate change. It's about all sorts of things like you've just said, like biodiversity and, and food security. And we, we can't just look at one thing in isolation. So there's a whole uh, slight chicken and egg situation there, I think, like consumers need to be better informed. So that then feeds into the schemes and then the schemes kind of communicate that back to the consumer when they're making when they're making choices, I think. I think that's absolutely right. And I think it, it is really difficult because the consumer is being bombarded with so many messages at the moment. And I think for me, that's where the arguably that's where the value of of those up and down the supply chain become really important because it is about right. How do we get that message across to them that that we are hitting all of these variables? And and look, animal welfare is in there as well. You know, you, we could keep, we could come up with a, a very long shopping list as as the years go by. We know the consumer is interested in this stuff. Um, we know we've got some of the most climate-friendly food production systems in the world. You and I have, have talked about this on previous podcasts, but we've actually got to demonstrate it. We can't just say it because the consumer will want to see evidence of that, will want to see continual improvement of that. And I think that's where things like what they've done uh, at Wikes is really important because actually that starts to put the solid foundations behind the, the strap lines, if you like, that the consumer is expecting in this area. Obviously, Stuart, you're a farmer. If someone was to approach you with a corporate sustainability scheme you know what would you look out for what are the questions you would be asking and you would advise other other farmers to ask um so this is really interesting i was i was talking at an event the other day and and this sort of question came up or one very similar uh, and the first thing i say is buyer beware i think certainly i'm being approached for example at the moment i reckon at least once a month i must get an email or a a flyer through the post or something with someone wanting to, generally it's on carbon, so buy my carbon or sequester their carbon or offset their uh, their construction project or whatever it is. 
Um, and the first question is, right, how do we measure this? How do we make sure there's transparency in this? How do we start to value it? Because actually, the, the values of carbon can be very different depending on what it is you're doing. So, so I genuinely, and, and I'll be really honest at the moment, Jess, I will not sign up to one of these schemes at the moment because I don't think there is that transparency, etc. And I can see myself signing up to something and in 10 years' time, some clever auditor coming back down the supply chain and saying, right, okay, we did this deal. Uh, I now want to see this carbon. And we know soil carbon is a, a biological process. It's not a, a physics process, if you like. And there's some real challenges around that. But what I would say is anyone who wants to approach me and have a discussion about, right, how can we invest in, in, in your farm's improvement? And how can we then share that, that upside? I'd be really keen on that. And I think that's exactly what Wikes are doing. And I think also for me, it's about working with those in my supply chain, not some you know, airline that has appeared out of the middle of nowhere and said, we want to offset our, our miles by, uh, by planting trees on your farm. Actually, if one of my millers, for example, wanted to say, well, actually, we want to improve the sustainability criteria of our oat supply chain, and there are people who are doing this, and we want to work with you to improve uh, breeding, improve efficiency, but also improve biodiversity on the farmland on which our oats are being grown, I'd be really excited about that. What I fear is that other elements of, a, of a, a food supply chain will come in and start to impose things on me as a farmer. So in order to supply X, you must do A, B, C, D and E and do those benefits on biodiversity or carbon sequestration or whatever it may be. Do they sit on my inventory because I'm the farmer doing it or actually uh, is it a cost of doing business within that supply chain? And I think some of these rules are, are just not yet understood. And ultimately, just be aware of what you're signing up to. And that's where I get very worried about some of these. I think that there's a bit of a, a bit of a wild west out there, particularly on the carbon one at the moment. And I'd be really nervous about signing up to something before there being very clear rules and standards about how we measure it, how it's valued, and ultimately how it's audited. Because it, it will need to be real uh, in the long run. And you could certainly see yourself signing up to deals today that could cost you a lot of money uh, in the long run if you're not sure about what those rules of engagement are up front. Yeah. And, and of course, you can't sell the same carbon twice. So if you sell your carbon to, I don't know, like you say, like an airline or something, and then your main buyer, like a, a milk buyer, or whatever, comes along and says, oh, well, now we've got this scheme and you're going to have to, you know, do all these things with carbon. And you're like, oh, well, I've, I've, I've kind of already sold my carbon. <laughs> um, it's going to cause problems. And also, I think one thing um, that will be interesting to see how it develops is whether the portion of what a farmer gets paid in, in terms of, you know, whether the corporate sustainability incentives, are they a bonus or are they part of what is already being paid to a farmer? And if it's, if it's part of what is normally already paid, then is it something that's achievable? Because if, it, if the goalpost is so far away, then it's, is it actually going to become this way of, of actually paying farmers less for what they produce. 
I think it's a I think it's a really good point. Again, I think it goes back to the carrot and stick analogy. You know, you could see it as a as a stick approach, which is exactly what you've described, which is basically people expecting us to deliver more, um, but receive no more, or arguably receive less. Or you could see it as a carrot, which is actually I think how 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 Wikes have seen it, which is right. We're going to pay you a premium. So actually, that is an extra. Uh, we're also going to help you on the journey. But on that, we expect you to do more. And I think, yeah, whether they've got the values right, I don't understand their economics and their supply chain well enough. But I, I very much hope that, that we see this as a journey that the entire supply chain goes on and helps farmers through it, rather than, if you like, just loading ever more costs on farmers to, to uh, being pretty blunt, to, to ease the consciences of others in the supply chain. Uh, and actually, that, that is, for me, an unfair supply chain. But if, if corporates want to help farmers on that journey, then that's really important. Now, you're right that you can't sell these things twice. You can't sell you know, the, 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 the carbon twice. But what you can do is if somebody is paying me, for example, to to, uh, to put a buffer strip in place because of a water quality issue, I fundamentally believe that doesn't mean I can't use that same strip in terms of the species of plant I encourage in there to encourage biodiversity. So actually, that for me is quite interesting about how we may, may be able to stack some of these benefits, but where they are, uh, if you like, where there's a synergistic relationship, not where you're doing one and then it's against another. But certainly, I do see some interesting areas around that. And, and in the long term, I do see quite an interesting, if you like, line in my P&L account that is uh, carbon or biodiversity or water quality or whatever it is. Um, but I do worry that we're not quite there yet. And actually, there will be some very sharp operators looking to take advantage of, of farmers and, and others but certainly take advantage of farmers going forward if we're not aware ourselves of what the value of these things can be and the commercial environment that we're operating in. Well, thanks to Stuart there for his insights. Now, let's hear more about White's corporate sustainability incentives, which were announced in November and how they will work in practice. We're joined by Rich Clothier, MD of White, and the third generation in the family to milk dairy cows and make cheddar in Somerset. The company already produces all its renewable energy itself, but is keen to do more. Rich, Wyke has just introduced this new sustainability bonus, which adds up to one pence per litre, uh, called the net positive net positive farming. Is it really is it really a bonus? Is it on top of what you would normally be be paying your farmers? I think it's a mix of both, really, Jess, because I I see environmental responsibility as part and parcel of what we have to do. Um, so I think the the the, of, the above and beyond part is where the, the premium sort of sits. I feel a little bit like in the UK, well, a, a farming across the world, we you know we should have all been on this for some time now, and um, I think that. It's no longer optional. I don't think as farmers and, and I'm talking as someone who loves farming and I'm passionate about farming and food production. And I want us to be farming, you know, and I want my family farming in this region in 100 years time. Um, the industry is under quite a lot of attack 
um, wrongly, I think, because I think um, from environmentalists and vegans and everyone else. And I think that we've got a lot of work to do to convey to the rest of the world and the buying public the fantastic things that are going on on farm. And I think that a lot of what we're doing really is about documenting the great environmental practice that British farmers have got so that we can tell shoppers about them, defend our position, and then secondly, get on the front foot and tell people how fantastic dairy farming is and how important it actually is for the environment and how great dairy products are for people's health. I mean, that's the key thing, isn't it, is is using using that to to really communicate to um, to buyers and to consumers um, about what what your farmers are doing and and how they are um, going above and beyond, like you say, in terms of sustainability. And how are you how are you planning to to sort of communicate that like on the shelf and also to your buyers? I know you've got buyers around the world, haven't you, in hundreds of different countries. One of the things that I found through this project is actually there's so much positive to say even before we start. For example, UK carbon footprints on dairy farms are, are something like half the world average. The carbon footprints of our farmers in our group um, is about 30% lower than what they say the, U- the published UK average is. It looks like the published UK average is much, much higher than most of the farmers that I've dealt with. So I think out of this, I think we'll probably find that actually the UK average is a lot better than, than people really think it is. So, and I think on a, on a baseline level, I think that's one of the most important messages we can send out is actually... British farmers are a lot better than we thought they were. And actually, they're so much better than dairy products from the rest of the world. So, you know, my my first message to people is if you want to improve your carbon footprint, buy British. And if you want to buy cheddar, buy cheddar from Somerset, because I always bang on about buying cheddar from Somerset, because as a Somerset person close to the home of cheddar, I believe that's important. So these, um, and we'll talk about the the five pillars um, that you've got within the sustainability criteria um, a little bit more in a second. But these five pillars that farmers would need to need to meet um, criteria on, are you then going to be able to really? Do you feel like you're going to be able to really leverage that internationally to really sell um, British cheddar? Yeah, I think so, because what we've tried to do is we've tried to identify all the good environmental practice, the things that drive um, lower greenhouse gas emissions and better countryside stewardship and conservation and biodiversity. And we've tried to put those into a, a, a payment system which drives the best environmental practice. Now, it's not perfect, you know, we don't live in a perfect world, but but what we can do is start the journey and keep improving. And, and I think the thing that's um, impressed me the most is just how much farmers are actually doing already and the fantastic work that's going on. And I think that as British farmers, we've been a bit shy about telling people that. And I think if 
if these environmental stewardship schemes can do anything, I think they can highlight these things and um, so that as farmers we can sell ourselves better on the UK stage and also the world stage as well. And is it something that you find your buyers like internationally but also in the UK are really starting to ask ask you more about? Because obviously Wyke is already known for being like you know sustainable you get all your your energy is renewable at the moment so is this something you're being asked about more and more and this kind of evidence um this documenting of that yeah it's something increasingly we've been asked more and more mainly actually up until now in the export markets so um in the asian countries um they're they're, they're quite a way ahead of where we are in terms of um, their drivers for purchase and their focus on environmentally responsible products. Um, surprisingly, I've seen a strong lobby in in countries like the US, where you would you would sort of I would naturally assume that that the environment was less of a focus. And I think that in those big affluent popula- populations, there's a section of the population that aren't interested. But actually, there's a big part of the the wealthy consumer base that really do care about the environment. They want the best products produced from the areas of the world that they should be produced in, like our Ivy's Vintage Cheddar, but they want it produced in a way that's not going to damage the environment, the countryside and the biodiversity. And apologies, I don't know, Rich, if you can hear this, but my my neighbour has started up some building works. Um, let's let's look at the the five pillars, though, Rich, in more detail. So, these five pillars, then, if I'm if I'm right, a farmer can gain 0.2 pence per litre for achieving criteria in each of these five pillars, which would then, if they hit all of those, would add up to one pence per litre. Is that right? That's correct. Yeah. And so the five pillars um, that you've got are feed management, soil and land management, manure management, herd management, and energy management. Can you can you give us some examples of the sorts of things within those pillars that, that farmers would would be having to do to kind of hit the criteria? Yeah, I mean, um, what we what we've done is we we did we did a lot of carbon footprinting on farm initially, and what we did is we tried to split out the areas of of the emissions, the greenhouse gas emissions. So we looked at um, we looked at the biggest part is obviously the enteric emissions and the feed management. So we, what we did is we looked to split that into one pillar. And we looked at the really, really good people and what they were doing um, to drive really good results. And we tried to put those criteria into that pillar. And then initially, we've said that people have to achieve, to get the bonus, people have to achieve three out of five. So we're not, we're not setting the standards at this stage really high. We're setting at what, you know, an average sort of producer should be able to do so most of our farms find it find it attainable but what we're trying to do is get them get focused on um the things that drive greenhouse gas emissions within the enteric within the fee management section and virtually all of these things actually drive good herd performance and profitability so um 
Uh, most of the things are about things like feed rate and um, and yield from forage and um, um, and there's a section on soil as well and obviously de deforested material and then if you look at the herd management I guess that's that's one of the areas that focuses on enteric emissions as well so then we look at the um, the average age at first calving because obviously if the heifer is kept until it's you know, three years old plus, it's emitting greenhouse gas, it's emitting methane the whole time that it's unproductive. So it's about trying to see the cow as, obviously it's an important part of the farm, but it has a it has an environmental overhead in terms of its, um, its methane gas emissions. So the cows have to be productive and the, the welfare of the cows have to be really good. The herd health plan has to be robust so the animals are healthy and producing milk. So actually, they're all things that dovetail into a good cost of production. So we've got age at first calving, a target replacement rate, because obviously if the replacement rate's really high, then it means that, you know, the cows, you've got more unproductive animals and that drives um, more methane emissions. Fertility rates, obviously poor herd fertility leads to lack of production, which then raises the... Um, the greenhouse gas emissions per litre of milk produced. Um, we've got days at grass as one of the targets, um, mainly because most of the herds in our region are able to graze quite easily. But grazing is quite an important thing in the export markets, particularly the US, where the ungrazed herds in the US are treated quite a lot differently to the grazed herds. So the access to grass and grazing is quite an important thing for our customers. And, um, and then we've got um, the amount of lactations the cow does and that sort of thing. So they're, they're all things that focus on the greenhouse gas emissions. In the energy management section, um, we've got some th simple things like have, you know, have they got an energy plan? Have they done an energy audit in the last three years? You know, things like focusing on an element of self-production of, of energy if, or, or an energy um, a use of renewables if possible. And, and then an efficiency factor, which is energy usage per cow. And um, and what we've found across all of the the work that we've done is that there isn't a pattern to say that any particular farming method or practice is necessarily right. So you know we've got spring calving herds, we've got flat herds, and you know all different types of farming systems, and we've got really low carbon footprints on all of those and higher ones on all of those as well so it's not about saying oh everyone must do this type of farming system but there are common things within that farming system that drive really good environmental practice and that's what we're trying to focus on and trying to set about a journey where farmers understand the drivers of greenhouse gas emissions on the farm and we're working together to try and reduce them. So we'll be, we've been funding energy audits on the farm at the moment. So we're helping farmers to pay for energy audits. Um, we will be funding 
paying for soil sampling on farms as well, working with partners who can come out and take soil samples so that we can see the organic matter in the soil and, and really understand the carbon sequestration in, in the soil and see how we're growing the carbon banks within the soil. Because I think that, I don't think you can talk with any integrity about farm sustainability until we understand the soil health properly. So that's a really important thing for us. And I think it's potentially for farmers, it's quite an expensive thing. And if if we all get help to organise it and help to pay for that, then it's something that we can do to help the journey that we think that the dairy farmers that supply us need to be on. Do you, do you think, Rich, we're, we're going to see more of this type of thing? You know, generally like corporations in the chain, like asking farmers to do more in terms of sustainability in order to achieve a certain price or achieve a bonus or whatever it might be. Yeah, gr- green is normal now. You know, this, is, this isn't a case of we can't say unless I get paid more. I'm not going to do this because that's like us saying, pay me more money or the planet gets it. And as as farmers, that's a really negative message. We have to embrace this. We have to do it. And then we have to use that as a way of adding value because in the UK, we stand on a really strong environmental platform. And I think people across the world will pay for that. Well, that's it for this week's episode. We'll be back next week with more of the latest farming news and interviews. Thank you for tuning in to the first podcast of 2022. Stay safe and well.